greet you in Jesus' name this morning. Good to be here. Uh, as we were taking the offering, or receiving the offering, to get this right now, uh, as we were receiving the offering, I, I thought about a quote. It was on the front of the, what's it called, Southeastern paper, or whatever that's called. A quote by uh, Glenn Horst. And it said, Tithing is God's training wheels for generous giving. And it says, church standards are God's training wheels for holy living. Uh, they keep you upright till you can pedal on your own. I thought that was kind of interesting. Help keep you upright till you can pedal on your own. I was impressed. with the song we just sung. We talk about the allurements of the world. And how the world wants to allure the Christian. But you, did you catch that phrase in the song that we sung? First verse. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have allured my sight. How about that? Are you allured to God this morning? That's, that's a challenging thought to me. I like that. Taught by the Bible, led by the Spirit, will walk the heavenly way. I counted this morning. And uh, what's our attendance this morning? Uh, 80. 94. 94. Okay. 94. One third of the congregation, junior class or younger, that was standing here. Now that's not counting one don't go to Sunday school. One third. So probably, including intermediate and youth, and the ones that don't go to Sunday school, we're, we're talking. 60% congregation. So I don't apologize for this sermon this morning. We're going to talk about the Christian women's veiling. And so they say if you don't preach about something for three years, it's on the way out. Well, last time I preached this at Prairie, I think it was six years ago, unless I'm mistaken. So uh, we're going to talk about the Christian women's veiling. Turn me in your Bibles to, first of all, to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 1. Paul called an apostle to Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes. No. Just Sosthenes, our brother. Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So this was written formally to the Corinthians. Informally, we could say the first epistle of Paul the Apostle to the Prairians. 
what it said. Corinthians and everybody else. So, just thought I'd point that out before we started. <clears throat> Turn me to First Corinthians eleven. I'll be preaching out of the Word of God this morning, but if you want to read a couple interesting books, one of them is uh, Symbols of Divine Order in the Church by Sanford Shank and, uh, pardon me, Sanford Shetler and J. Ward Shank. Uh, Ornaments of a Spirit is another interesting book on the subject. First Corinthians eleven one. Be followers of followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if a woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause the woman ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is a man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judge in yourself. Is it comely for a woman? Is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. I don't know that there's, well, put it this way. In the Christian, professing Christian churches, um, very few take this seriously. It's generally disobeyed or ignored or misinterpreted. In the book, uh, uh, Ornaments of a Spirit, the writer pointed out, and I didn't know this before, but basically the veiling among Christian churches disappeared in the Roaring Twenties. Um, I'm not sure what all happened in the Roaring Twenties, but... Uh, 
a lot of things changed in the Roaring Twenties. I do remember one time, I'm talking about how much things have changed. I believe it's 1900. If you're on the beach without, if a lady was on the beach without hose on, she could be arrested in 1900 for nudity. Um, we live in a dramatically different culture. Uh, the writer there also said that the women kind of substituted hats for a long time. I remember as a young boy going to town, we'd go through town to get to church, and uh, the ladies would be standing outside of church, and they had their hats on, and uh, <clears throat> particularly on Easter Day, uh, outrageous hats that they wore to church. <clears throat> so this is not foreign to the history of other faiths just simply they decided it was no longer necessary for whatever reason so we ask the question why we're availing well where does Paul start he starts with headship the reason to wear a veiling or not to wear a veiling depending on what gender you are has to do with headship. It's for God's people everywhere who call on the name of the Lord. Uh, one thing is very interesting, um, and I think God did this on purpose, that if you go from the middle of 1 Corinthians 11, as they end up on the teaching of the veiling, where do they go? Where did Paul go next? Right into communion. So the question arises: Why is one generally neglected, another generally accepted? When, how often do you hear? Oh well, our church decided that communion is just old old-fashioned, out-of-date, and we just, we quit that, that don't really apply. And you don't hear that. People hang on to communion. They, you know, somehow or the other, communion seems important. Uh, and the veiling seems unimportant. Why wear a veiling? Because we love God. Or why, why do the men not cover their head? Because we love God. His desires are our delight. We want to do what God wants. We are allured. I love that word. We are allured into the will of God. That is the thing that I am drawn to as a Christian. Does God's word allure me? Verse 5 says that it makes the veiling on the woman and the lack of veiling on the men makes prayer valid. If a woman prays with her head 
uncovered, she dishonoreth her head. Now God is, he, he's talking about headship here. So I don't believe that she is dishonoring this thing. She is dishonoring the system that God sets up. That includes her husband, and that includes Christ. That's serious business. How can I delight in God if I turn around and dishonor him by my actions? I want to inject right here this morning. And I, want, I intended to do this to start with. But I want to inject right here this morning. I'm not preaching this sermon because I believe our congregation is weak on this issue. That's not why I'm preaching it. Thank God that as bishop I don't have to deal with teensy little doilies on members. I just don't know what. How, well, that's, we don't even want to go there. I appreciate our practice here at the Valley. So I'm not implying in any way, sense, or form that I'm dissatisfied. I'm simply saying that in order for this to remain strong at Prairie, we need to keep looking at it. And so I commend our congregation very highly for our practice. I do not want that to be misconstrued in any way, shape, or form. Number five, why do I need to honor God's headship? Be veiled. I believe this morning, and in my own experience, and I believe I've viewed it in other people's experience, that if we come to a place where we say, God, I'm not going to do what you want me to do, I believe we're stuck right there. We're stuck right there. We cannot expect, I cannot expect, you cannot expect, no Christian can expect spiritual growth when I get to a point where I say, no. No. I know what God wants, I refuse to do it. And I can apply to hundreds of different things in our lives. If I want to grow spiritually, then I need to do what I know God's will is. I need to do that. It says, and, and, I, and I'm going to just tell you this morning, I can't cover all this this morning. I mean, if you want to cover all this, you'd probably have to be five sermons. I don't know, so this is not exhaustive. Uh, but also it says in here, because of the angels, for this cause... Ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels? There's power there. It's easy for us to sing, we've got the power in the name of Jesus, but unless we do what God says... How can we 
declare to the angels, and I don't know what all is involved here, but I believe there is a declaration to all angels when a woman's veiled. All of them. Good ones, bad ones. A declaration that I am allured to God's plan for my life. I would like sometimes to just do an extensive study on the ministry of angels, and I have never done that. I have heard um, Brother Homer Miller, I believe, which is passed on to his eternal reward, and he is witnessing the angels, had a series, I think, of four or five, six messages on angels. I'd love to hear that. Uh, what, what all they do? Angelic protection. Uh, by good angels, angelic protection from evil. Do I think, and just to, just to stir my thinking, do I think I'm big enough to get it through life without angelic protection? We don't see them. Now, my wife's dad said he saw one. I've never had the privilege to see one. He was sitting in the living room, and I and an angel came down the steps, opened the door, and went out of the room. I, I'm not sure the whole story anymore, but he said he saw an angel. I, I'd love to see that sometime. I don't know, but he saw an angel. Most of the time, we don't see him. The angels have something to do with our prayers. Find that in Revelation. Why wear a veiling? It reminds my husband, myself, everyone around me, that I have personally chosen to place myself in a proper position in God's head of order of headship. Now, Position does not establish worth. Even though our American culture jams that down our throat persistently, brothers and sisters, this morning, it is not true. Position does not establish worth. Someone has said, if you're not the lead dog, the, the uh, scenery never changes. Well, first of all, we're not a dog team. However, the point is, in a dog team, is that everybody's pulling. Right? It doesn't matter where you are. I read recently and this was from a secular viewpoint, actually from a, I guess it was taken from a management seminar or whatever, the quote that <clears throat> rank does not 
confer privilege nor give power. It imposes responsibility. Rank does not confer privilege. Now you think about that. There's something, something really stinks that somebody has a position and they use it for privilege. Somebody has a position and they use it for power, manipulate people. So, if you walk in my study today, you will see piece of paper. Being a bishop does not confer privilege nor give power. It imposes responsibility. That's right there in front of my chair. Boom. And I hope I never forget it. You know, if we vie for position, we are automatically violating a godly principle. Automatically. If someone, and I just put it very bluntly, if want, somebody wants to be a preacher, they automatically disqualify themselves. Because God said he, uh, he, he appoints in the church. He appoints in the church. I heard one time they was taking votes for, for a minister and this brother came in and he nominated himself. And the bishop said, well, you know, the point is that you nominate somebody else. You know, you look around, you know. And this brother said, well, I didn't. I couldn't see anybody but me. God, when he created I'll just keep going. Number one, realize the position does not establish worth. Number two, I realize that the position God has called me to fill is what I will be able to do best. Because God appoints, God knows, and God understands in ways that we don't understand. But I have to, I have to understand that that's what God wants. And so if that's what God wants, then I have to accept that that's where God feels that I would do the best. I don't think we should vie for that position, any kind of Whatever it is, whatever I think we need to be able to, willing to give it a shot if God calls us there. Do it the best that we can. My effectiveness for God is not my position, but my obedience in filling that position, whatever it may be. I am as effective as I am obedient. 
I am as successful as I am obedient. The title is almost beside the point because Jesus said, he, if you want to be great, you've got to be the least. And so maybe the greatest one has the title, the least one don't, but Jesus said, in his definition, the title is beside the point when it comes to success in the eyes of God is whether you're obedient, whether you're committed. And I have to realize that my fulfillment is going to come from accepting God's decisions as to where he placed me in divine order. And there's one thing for certain, that none of us are at the top because God, Christ, man, woman. All right? So is Jesus walk around heaven whining and complaining, oh man, I wish I was God. And I could say, you know, I could say what all was going to happen. And I could make all these decisions, all be my way. And can you imagine that? It's ridiculous. Would we ever want to? I hope not. So, God has his order of grace and he had his order of government. Because I am in whatever position God has placed me in, we are equal in grace. Different in government. If an organization, it doesn't matter what organization there are, if it's going to have going to be effective, it has it must have government. Yeah. There has to be a boss at General Mills. There has to be a boss at your local tire shop. There has to be a boss whatever. There has to be workers. There has to be people and they and they need to respect each other. They need to work together. They need to help each other. They need to uh, do all the things that make things work. And that's the way it is in the church. G. Campbell Morgan wrote, When two persons cooperate, efficiency demands that one assume leadership. And the Godhead has mutually agreed that the Father shall do so. It is an authority involving the closest and most intimate fellowship and cooperation in being and in service. So, in order for the Godhead to cooperate, in order for them to become close together, in order for them to be effective and leading the church of Jesus Christ, they must embrace government. In order for the church to be effective, in order for the family to be effective, we must embrace government. All you need is a church full of people that everybody thinks they have to be the preacher or they have to be the Sunday school superintendent or whatever, some kind of position, and you've got chaos on your hand. If you have a home where the mom and the dad both 
think they need to run the whole thing, make all decisions themselves, you've got chaos on your hands. Our bishop in Ohio said, I have never seen a home where the mom ran the home and the children were not confused. I've never seen it. It will always happen. When God's order of government is discarded, the children will always suffer. And that's the way it is in the church. Why wear a veiling? Because it brings glory to God and eliminates the shame and dishonor associated with cut and unveiled hair. Now, our society has softened us incredibly. And I think it is making our way into some of our conservative circles. It's talking about the dishonor in here of shaven heads. Now, I'll tell you what. If all the women in Prairie came to church some Sunday morning with shaved heads, I'm telling you what, we, what, what, what would we do? I don't know what we would do. I think I'd run out the door. I don't know what I'd do. But Shorn, remember, is to take a shear to the hair. We would be appalled if our sisters were shaven. Are we appalled if their hair is cut. And I ask you the difference, what is the difference between cut, 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 cut? I'm just asking you. I believe when the Bible says it's a dishonor for a woman to cut her hair, shorn, take an instrument to it, then that's what it means. Now, our culture, if you see a lady with long hair, I mean, long hair down to her knees, that, it's just like, very, I mean, actually, natural length, uncut hair in our culture is extremely rare. It's extremely rare. But our culture is shameless. Brothers and sisters, we live in a shameless culture. A shameless culture. Incredibly shameless culture. Isaiah 47. Wow, this is getting ahead of me. All right. We might have to cut this in two anyhow. Isaiah 47. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground. There is no throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou hast no more be called... For thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind meal. Uncover thy locks. Make bare the leg. Uncover the thigh. Pass over the rivers. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered. Yea, thy shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance and I will not meet thee as a man. The Bible, if I understand this, in Old Testament at least, uh, equated removing the veil with exposure of the leg. 
And it also says that they are come down to that point. They are come down to that. And we are so softened to cut hair and bare leg in our culture that we get numb? I don't know. Maybe not numb. I don't think that's the case. To such nudity and shamelessness in our culture. Do I get hardened to shamelessness? You know, I really don't think we do. And the proof of that is the problem that arises occasionally, and maybe more than occasionally in some of our conservative circles, with pornography. I don't think you really get numb. I think if we're going to get on top of that, we're going to have to start looking the other way. And so, being veiled, I think I've seen people that were veiled and shameless, I am told. I have never seen, I don't know, but I'm told that there's people walk around in large Mennonite communities, and I can't remember, I won't say where, supposedly with a veiling and shorts. I don't know. That, that's beyond belief. Why? I, I don't know. And so we're talking not just a veiling this morning, we're talking about a lifestyle. We're not talking about just the sister's lifestyle, we're talking about the men's lifestyle too. Because it all has to go together. So if I understand where I'm at in God's order of headship and I embrace that, then that in itself is going to promote purity, it's going to promote dignity, it's going to promote proper values, and it will be in the interest of womanhood in general. I just don't understand how, in the minds of our culture, that womanhood is promoted by promiscuity and nudity and disregard of God's principles, and somehow or the other, this freedom makes them feel good. I don't understand that. When God clearly says, and it is, you don't have to have your eyes open very far to understand that all this degrades women. I mean, seriously degrades women. 
to an object of lust and whatever. Just stop right there. You know what I'm talking about. Veiling, Christian woman veiling, is a witness in four directions. It is a witness of obedience and dedication to God and Christ. So it is witnessing to God. God, I am, I want to be in your order. It's a witness to your husband to fill his place in your home and in the church. What would happen... I hope and pray that Prairie Church would look exactly the same this morning if the head of the home were unveiled and those under authority were veiled. In other words, if the woman was running the show and she just was honest enough to take off her veiling, and the husband knew that she was running the show, and so he was honest enough to put a bill cap on. So what would we look like this morning? I, you know, I hope we'd all look just the way it is. Uh, but when, when we as a husband look at our wife and she is veiled, that's a re that is a continual reminder. I have a job to fulfill. I have a... God has placed me with responsibility. And accountability. It's a witness to the church that our sisters have a spirit of voluntary submission so that she can effectively fill her place. The man on the other side without a veiled head is a witness. I have chosen to voluntarily submit myself to my authority. And that I recognize that it's God's order. And it is a continual witness to our ungodly, shameless, rebellious culture. Continual witness. A consistent lifestyle coupled by a veiled head. It's a constant reminder to those in authority to protect and respect. And like I say, well, this is part one. I might as well quit because there's no way I'm going to get to part two. Um, we might as well quit right here. You know, I, I think that we as godly men, by our behavior, by the way we conduct ourselves by the way we appear either enforce or tear down in other words if 
getting very practical, you know, um, if my wife appeared the way she here this morning and I went to town, she was dressing like that and, and I had t-shirt on and patch pocket pants and sideburns down to here and walk along and somebody, they're thinking, yeah, it must be Amish, and it must be his driver or something, I don't know what, but you follow what I'm saying? You know, if if I absolutely make no appearance of being a Christian, uh, like after a while the wife's going to say, well, you know, husband, he don't, you know, he's got long hair and he's got whatever, and why should I stick out like a sore thumb? You know? Um... Some shameless, partially naked woman walks by and your wife sees your eyes following her. Really? When she wants your attention? Or you as a man allured where you're letting her out on an island do I compliment my wife for dressing modestly, simply, or do I compliment her when her dress is pushing the church standards, maybe a little over the edge? Wow, you're looking sharp this morning. Do I? See, the whole simple lifestyle goes along with the simple gospel message and I I don't want to pick on Bible school students but you know you can have all kinds of people and they do things for different reasons and I know they're all teenagers and they're kind of feeling their oats a little bit and you know they're kind of establishing their pecking order a little bit and all this kind of stuff but um it's interesting to watch them, and you know, uh, you can have the most simply plain dressed girl, and seem like every time you look, she got five guys around her, and they're just having a high old time. And it's just so, you know, You, you remove you remove the heart you remove the allurement toward God and all all these things become people look and they say like something don't quite stack right something don't quite stack right the veiling can be as consistent as can be and have the wildest hairdo in front of it. And I guess we'll get at that a little bit later. But 
What do people see? Do they see godly order? Do they see humility? Do they see simplicity? Do they see satisfaction? Do they see happiness? Do they see... What are they seeing in your life, in my life? What are we reinforcing? Brothers and sisters, there's no place is going to bring us more happiness, more satisfaction, more peace, more enjoyment than dead center in the will of God. And that's where I want to be this morning, and I'm sure that's where you want to be. Let's seek Him with our whole heart.